0: Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author Austin Bay. Welcome Austin and Jim. It's time to talk a little bit about last year and about what's coming this year last year i didn't pay too much attention jim i was uh having some health issues and was trying to just live so maybe you could tell me what the high points are from last year
1: well uh actually things were good <laughs> there was there were fewer deaths. uh there are mm, probably more conflicts going on we mentioned that in the wars update which came out you know about three days ago Um. Afghanistan went back to becoming a, a failed state. I mean, it was always a failed state, but when it had the <laughs> a real government um, before the Taliban took over again, uh, they had a chance. Now they have to fight all over again, and that's apparently uh, what it's uh, starting to um, come up to. Pakistan, the backer of uh, the Taliban, is trying to muster support, and the best they can do is some food and they, and of course there are conditions on that. They want monitors <coughs> to um, supervise that the people who uh, need it the most get it, and that may be a contentious problem. The uh, Taliban is, has been shooting at Pakistan, the new Taliban government, or as they call themselves, the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, as opposed to the former Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. <coughs> we try to make that clear, but those are really the official names of the two governments. Technically, the uh, Islamic Republic is still the recognized government of Afghanistan. Pakistan has been having a hard time getting that changed. Nobody, including Pakistan so far, has recognized the Taliban government, uh, and for good reason, uh, because they are shooting at Afghanistan uh, on the uh, in the east over borders, and they've been firing at there was some gun mosque gunfire but there was some gunfire on the Iranian border again over the um, the new border wall as it were uh, tents and what have you that the, uh, the Iranians are building uh, to keep the drug smugglers out now in both cases um, there's always been disagreements on exactly where the border is this has been particularly acute on the um Pakistani border, where there is most, how should I put it, there's the biggest amount of disagreement. The um, the Iranian border is more about mm, smuggling, and the Iranians are still rather, uh, how should I put it, uneasy about the attacks still being made on the um, Afghan Shia. Now, about 20% of the population of Afghanistan are Shia, and many of them are veterans of, uh, of fighting in Syria as mercenaries for the Iranians. And this is one reason why the Iranians are, how should I put it, obliged. They were always obliged, but now they're more obliged because they trained these guys, they served them well, they were the best mercs uh, that, uh, uh, that the Iranians had in Syria. Uh, when the Iranians ran out of money in uh, 2018, when the sanctions came back in, they had to cut back way back, on their mercenary force. in fact, the only ones they have left are some Afghans and they've hired some local local um, uh, Syrians uh, who are you know less effective, less reliable, et cetera, et cetera. The uh, people are depending more on uh, mercenaries uh, hired guns uh, than on using uh, the Turkey is still stirring up trouble in Libya. That is at an impasse, and that may blow up. <laughs> because the uh, the UN will not crack down on Turkey. Uh, now well, the United States and, and Greece are getting together, along with Israel, to sort of uh, you know persuade the Turks to uh, back off. Now the Turks may back oh, back away from um, the last uh, province, Idlib, that's up in the northwest, uh, that has mostly, almost all of the rebels. ISIL is still the Islamic State is still active in the in eastern Syria, but there there's not many of them, uh, but they still you know uh, carry out attacks, uh, usually to try and block roads. That's their only leverage. Uh, that's important to the Iranians because that's how they they basically truck uh, weapons uh, from uh, Iran. Uh, all the way into Lebanon and as well as uh, in Syria where they're trying to get a, a, a shooting war started with Israel. Uh, the Israelis are still threatening to use nukes even if the even if the uh, Europeans there are there are uh, peace talks as it were, or uh, talks with the Iranians going on uh, very haltingly to uh, resume the uh, 2015 treaty which lifted most of the sanctions. Uh, the Europeans would really like to have the, um, you know, the treaty back in place so they could sell stuff to the Iranians. Uh, it, sort of ignoring the fact that a lot of the money that the Iranians bring in is going to go to upping their their troublemaking potential in places like Syria and Yemen, and to a lesser extent Iraq. Iraq has turned uh, openly anti-Iranian. Uh, this is something people thought they would never see happen. The uh, the Arab Gulf states are basically increasing their economic uh, relationships with Iraq. They are willing to invest in the rebuilding Iraq from the you know the ISIL war, um, and the Iranians can't help much economically because again they have no money. Uh, the Iranians also have a lot of trouble internally, uh, which nobody sheds too many tears over. Uh, but the population is in uproar because throughout all of this they seem to be last in line to receive any money that was available uh, the government is trying you know desperately <clears throat> to quell the uh, internal uh, dissent as it were without killing their own people they've killed over 1000 actually it might be closer to 1500 now since 2017 when the uh, when 2018 actually uh, well no it started in 2017 the unrest in uh, the widespread unrest in Iran began in 2017, even before the sanctions came back in, because people realized that after 2015, when the sanctions started, the economic sanctions started being lifted, uh, there was more trade, there was more oil being exported, but their lives weren't any better because you know it was. It, by then, most Iranians knew that a lot of money, billions a year, was being spent in Syria, Yemen. Uh, And even in Iraq, they're trying to destabilize the government there. But the Iranians have basically failed uh, in all those er areas. Well, Yemen is somewhat of a success. Um, And that's a very tricky situation because they've been firing a couple hundred ballistic missiles, uh, most of them uh, into uh, Saudi Arabia. They haven't hit anything yet except by accident. In other words, debris from an intercepted missile missile coming down in a, uh, you know, a, 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 how should I put it, an occupied area. There haven't been many casualties. And in fact, I think the only fatalities have been foreign workers. But then again, a large chunk of the population of uh, Saudi Arabia is foreign workers. That's something the Saudis are desperate to change because the oil, now they can see the oil is a finite resource. It is going to run out. And... Um, uh, they're going to have to start paying their own way. Uh, some Gulf countries are already moving in that direction. The United Arab Emirates, which is, <laughs> again, the most uh, corruption-free government in the Middle East. Israel is right behind them, uh, which is another problem. It's less of a problem, but, you know, it, it's a problem. As as an Israeli pointed to me, out to me back in the 1980s as a senior guy, uh, I think he was a retired Brigadier General, He says, you know, we're turning into a Middle Eastern country. And boy, was that prophetic. You know, when we started strategy page, I kept an eye on that. My God, he was right. But that's another story. That's not, you know, that's not killing a lot of people. The Palestinians are killing themselves by uh, insisting on spending a lot of their foreign aid on subsidizing terrorism. That's, again, we cover that. That, again, is not a big deal in terms of, you know, mayhem because none of the, uh, the the terrorism, or very little of it, has any impact on Israel, except Israel has to spend a lot of money, you know, keeping it under control. So you can see what's happening here. The wars that are going on have either settled into something of a ceasefire, um, who, which who knows how long it will last. The biggest killing is still going on in places like Africa. Austin covers that, uh, Congo, Central Africa in general, but even that's settled down, because the uh, the UN finally did something they said they'd never do. They formed a combat peacekeeping brigade. Because <laughs> if we can't if we can't just you know get them to be peaceful by being there, you know we'll go shoot at the bad actors. And some of them have turned to ISIL. There's one group from Uganda, the uh, with the ADF, I believe, um, which All, is li-
0: Allied Democratic Forces. Right,
1: oh, right, right, which which is mostly Muslims. That's right. Uh, Uganda is a, a majority, you know, non-Muslim state, but the Muslims that are there have been, you know, rebelling, as it were, uh, and they uh, they really couldn't stand up to the Ugandan forces. So they said, "Well, let's go play in um, in nearby Congo, which is in chaos." The Chinese are in big trouble because the the new newly elected president did not, as many of the corrupt uh, officials, politicians in Congo hoped. Would would not mess with all the lucrative uh, Chinese um, uh, economic deals. Now again, Austin has been report following this. In fact, it's gotten so bad for the Chinese and the, the former Kabila government that they uh, they are auditing, using outside auditors. You know where the money's actually going, and they find that a lot of it's going into the pockets of uh, local politicians who, who, who preceded, the, you know, the current president, and. Uh, <clears throat> They uh, and and virtually none of the economic benefits that were supposed to come from these contracts, which is a standard, you know, part of those deals, um, uh, are being carried out. So that's a that's a that's a continuing story. Nobody's shedding a tear for the Chinese. Um, actually, the Chinese are losing ground uh, in many places, um, but uh, they still hold the strong military, you know, cards, as it were. In fact, one thing we haven't published this one yet. I have one coming out on the the, the, uh, the Chinese ballistic missile forces. Uh, now, this is something I guess you'll hear it here first. I mean, I've got it written up. I just haven't set a, a pub date for it yet. The Chinese actually have a lot more ballistic missiles in service. Well, you know, yeah, in, literally in service uh, than than is admitted, as it were, uh, in the in the Western media or even the Western analysis. Now, there have been some. I find some. Uh, Western uh, analysts, uh, you know, senior intelligence, uh, especially military, you said, you know, this it doesn't make sense what's going on here. They, they, they apparently have more than we, we, we realize. Well, uh, it's true. They do. And I went in there and did a new count, and it comes to over 3,000. But more surprisingly, uh, you know, all this talk about uh, China building silos in central China for ICBMs and uh, first strike, not happening. Mainly... Because they haven't been producing enough plutonium to uh, build enough warheads. In fact, they've been reprocessing a lot of the old, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, one megaton warheads into smaller, four hundred kiloton warheads, and these are, are apparently not on many, if there are any, ICBM. Uh, uh, ballistic missiles, because what the Chinese have done, they've turned their entire rocket force, which is now a fourth branch of the military, the rocket forces, um, into a, a huge artillery unit. Now, this is something that scared the, the the Taiwanese; it still does, because I think it was oh almost ten years ago, they did a count. The Taiwanese keep a close eye on They had an over over a thousand shorter range conventional ballistic missiles aimed at Taiwan. And Taiwan has been frantically figuring out ways how to disperse their forces because a first strike like that, we're talking about Pearl Harbor, which is virtually unstoppable. Even if you use a lot of anti-ballistic missile systems, uh, they the Chinese have the ability to do a mass strike. I mean, literally, pl- boom, you know, uh, not maybe not a thousand, but several hundred in, in rapid you know, waves, as it were, coming in on Taiwan would overwhelm the, uh, basically any uh, anti-ballistic missile systems they're putting in there. And to put a bl- ABM systems in there that could basically withstand that sort of attack would cost more money than they can afford. But they've got a new president in Taiwan, which we've reported on uh, several times, uh, the first woman president, uh, who has stealthily, behind the Chinese backs, as it were, uh, gathered enough experts unofficially uh, from Western, uh, uh, you know, countries who who China China had for had threatened in the past for uh, uh, basically selling any components for a mis, uh, for submarines, and they are in, they are in the process of building eight uh, Taiwanese designed, um, uh, you know, conventional submarines. But with the independent, uh, you know, uh, you know, the the independent underwater supply, which allows basically a, a conventional submarine to stay underwater for two weeks or more, which is basically makes it equivalent to a nuclear sub because you only need about two weeks, you know, for local defense. And they're talking about, you know, taking care of China, not go half going across the ocean. Um and this worries China a great deal, because they have had less success with AIP, uh, and uh, and now all of a sudden, because of this this mere woman running a country, whoever heard of such a thing? Um, she outfoxed them all. Now she 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 was a, a quite a political operator. She basically has a degree. She's considered an academic her degrees are in foreign, in foreign trade and foreign relations and she had already before she was elected developed a lot of uh, tie, you know uh, connections in the West and quietly discussed things like this with them. Now it's come out. It basically you know got published because the first of these subs is supposed to be uh, launched you know within a year or two and the other rate will follow in rapid succession. The uh, Chinese thought that they could uh, well we, we can attack the suppliers, but that won't work. Because the plan, this the secret conspiracy, as it were, made sure that they had they had arranged to have multiple from different countries suppliers for many components. The major components are being supplied openly by the United States and Britain, who don't give a hoot about you know China Chinese economic threats. And more uh, Western countries are feeling the same way. You know, why put up with this crap? In fact, I we just did a piece. I think well, maybe schedule. I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I plop these things a week in advance. Um, little Little Lithuania defied China when they opened a, a a Taiwanese, you know, basically a trade office. But the Chinese said, No, no, that's that's a that's a diplomatic thing. So the Chinese thought they threatened the the Lithuanians good, and they said, We're going to downgrade your embassy. To a, uh, a non, uh, to a lower status, less than a consulate, which basically meant the Lithuanian diplomats would not have diplomatic immunity anymore. So before that could go into place, the Lithuanians quickly spirited all of their diplomatic people out of China, which again was an embarrassment to China. You know, if a bully's, uh, you know, uh, a threat doesn't work especially if they're not foxed by such a a minor country as Lithuania, um, it's embarrassing. They lose face. Lithuania is basically using that. They got a lot of publicity in Eastern Europe over that. He says, you know, if we don't stand up to these big bullies, whether they be China or Russia, you know, they're going to keep pushing and keep pushing. And this is bothering Putin because his uh, threats of nuclear war don't carry as much weight as they used to. I mean, what, what he apparently found out was that when he threatened it earlier, it raised a lot of hackles among his supporters, his civilian supporters, uh, in Russia. And he's having a lot of problems, you know, uh, uh, dealing with the economic crisis. I mean, the the, the poverty rate in, in China has been steadily growing. He's been trying to downplay that. They've been coping somewhat with the, uh, with the economic sanctions, but not to the point where the, the, the majority of Russians don't feel it. And they are not happy, so there'll be a, there may be a test there uh, during the next elections as to whether uh, Putin, you know, pro-Putin or pro-Putin. Well, actually, he changed the constitution recently, which didn't go over well, which allows him to be president for life. Assuming <laughs> so, I mean, he can win an election. Now, whether or not to be honest elections, well, it depends on how honest it has to be to uh, keep him out. So that's it's, it's good news when our, when people who are threatening us are having problems at home. Um, and also problems with their weapons. Uh, China, Russia has also made itself unpopular in Western Europe. They convinced, they made it easy, theoretically, for the uh, Germans to go through with their, their uh, policy, their green policy. This is what happens when you when you let the Green Party run the country. Uh, they're shutting down all their nuclear plants and they're going totally renewable. Well, except for the natural gas, which you need. It gets cold in Germany during the winter time. And it's cold this year, and the uh, uh, the the uh, natural gas supplies uh, from Russia were cut. Uh, now it's unclear if this is for purely you know economic, you know technical reasons, or the Chinese are giving me a little taste of uh, you know uh, retribution. What they can expect if they don't toe the line. So Russia is using uh, losing a lot of goodwill in Western Europe. And even the Germans are reconsidering uh, their plan uh, to uh, shut down all their nuclear power. The French, meanwhile, they're the one country that's built more nuclear plants and they have nothing to worry about with all this. But that's another story. Uh, the history of nuclear you know, power and that dangers and what have you vastly overblown. But, you know, uh, nothing interferes with a good horror story. And, and uh, you know, no news uh, always makes a good headline on a slow news day. So overall, there may be a few more conflicts going on in the, the world, but there are there, there's few, fewer people are dying. Um, the places where there's uh, there's uh, threats of uh, uh, famine, uh, which includes Afghanistan now, um, uh, are still a problem because the main problem for the uh, you know the lack of food is not the lack of food; it's the lack of distribution. Uh, Iran has been backing the um the their Yemeni, the Shia rebels they've been backing in, in Yemen, um to basically deliberately uh use food they get to keep their uh, their their civilians they, they in in the areas they occupy. They control about I think a third of the population. And a lot of them are not backers of the Shia rebels, but they have no choice. If they wanna eat, they have to basically, you know, at least keep quiet. Um, and the UN is really starting to recognize that they don't like to because the um, how I put it? the foreign aid uh, lobby within the UN it's their business to you know ship this stuff over there whether it gets to the people who need it or not. Uh, the UN eventually got, had to back off on just throwing free food at North Korea because the North Koreans were blatant in how they would turn around and sell some of that food. Uh, they would sell a lot of it. And, of course, they would hang it over their, their own population for anybody who was getting out of line. More North Koreans are getting out of line. We have an update coming uh, next week on Korea, and I've been working on that, and it's getting bad. Uh, for example, Kim Jong-un, the uh, the boy wonder, leading the uh, the third uh, member of the uh, Kim dynasty to run the country, um, promised that in 2022 the priority would be uh, on more food and more nukes. Um, he back he actually immediately backpedaled on that by putting more restrictions, uh, movement restrictions inside North Korea because they, they still have no protection against the uh, uh, COVID-19. They insist that there's no cases. But this Omicron uh, variant is coming in from China. It's in China. It's not supposed to be in China, but that's causing conniptions in parts of China which are shut down, and that's hurting the economy, the Chinese economy, which is now the growth is slowing and slowing and slowing. Again, we cover that, but the Chinese uh, are are less concerned about uh, uh, North Korean nukes or North Korean economy, and they're focusing more on, um, on internal problems. Again, our enemies are being more preoccupied with the mistakes they've made at home, uh, Than the mischief they're trying to uh, uh, start overseas, the um, uh, the South China Sea uh, controversy, as it were, the claims that uh, the uh, Chinese have made on the uh, much of well most of the South China Sea uh, is basically uh, building a, a even stronger uh, coalition uh, of countries. Uh, who are basically uniting militarily as well as diplomatically uh, to oppose the Chinese. That includes Japan and South Korea, who have never been friends, uh, but they're basically united uh, in and in opposing um, China. This is where the Chinese rocket, uh, you know, uh, a f- a fleet, as it were, these thousands of rockets, because they could be used against any of their local enemies. So basically, when that when that came out, the extent of the the Chinese, you know, rocket uh, inventory of non nuclear rockets. Like I say, even their nuclear rockets apparently are loaded with conventional warheads in peacetime, and there are about two hundred uh, ICBM and a few shorter range uh, ballistic missile warheads, you know, stored nearby. But they have to be moved in. You have to basically change the warheads if there's any threat of a nuke. So that's something we can keep an eye on. Um, uh, but the Chinese don't consider that problem. I mean, they basically believe who in their right mind, outside of the Iranians, are going to uh, try and use nukes. And even the Iranians don't want to do it. There, there's, like I said, there's a big dispute in uh, in Iran right now uh, because you know most Iranians are in favor of nuclear weapons for Iran because Iran's always for thousands of years has been the you know the superpower in the Middle East. They've not been that for you know over a century. They'd like to get it back. That always plays well, but the fact is, they're starving in order to maintain that. Um, uh, you know, they live in poverty increasingly in order to sustain that dream. So they, they, they the people are willing to, you know, I, the hell with the nukes. You know, we'd rather eat. We'd rather you have, you be able to send our kids to school and have a place to live and have a job, um, and uh, that is changing it. But North Korea is in big trouble because. They have no, they have no national health infrastructure uh, to deal with it. They re, they refused most um, uh, vaccines uh, because again they have no problem, but now they do, and uh, and the in- indicator of that, as I found out, was after uh, Kim Davis' "food is a priority" speech, uh, food became harder to get because there was less movement of food supplies internally. I mean, this is even legal stuff. Uh, you need more paperwork and what have you. Uh, what they're trying to really crack down on is the smuggling, smuggling of anything. They're outlawing that. They've they've increased the punishment for people caught watching South Korean TV, which is which is always better No, No, it's considered treason. Um, so you can see there are a lot more. There's a lot more. How should I put it? Um, I, I, hmm, a lot more. You know, dictators and aggressive countries with headaches. And that basically makes it less likely they're going to uh, start a war, with the possible exception of Iran, which is really dominated by the hardcore now. But even the guys, these guys, are not really proponents of throwing a nuke at Israel, uh, well, especially at Israel, or anybody else. Uh, For the Israelis, no matter what deals you make with Iran, they are not going to let them get nukes, because they know if they're gonna be used anywhere, they're going to be used by, uh, by Islamic religious fanatics uh, to basically hurt Israel. And, of course, Israel can hurt them back a lot more. Israel has more uh, uh, long-range uh, uh, missiles, and they have also submarines that carry uh, nuclear uh, cruise missiles. Um, so the, the, the uh, Israeli, Israelis can retaliate independent of anybody else. So, I mean, if the Iranians get themselves involved in a nuclear war, it's their own fault. They're going to start it and somebody else is gonna finish it. So there you go, there's peace after a fashion. So Austin, what did Jim miss?
0: Well, uh, Jim uh, didn't miss uh, anything uh, worth, uh, well, he's got every single one of, of the major examples, and then, uh, of, of of the major major situations, let's put uh, let's let's put it that way, and he's got uh, exemplary or instructive examples of uh, the, the other conditions. Uh, so he's he it's it, it, if you go read his uh, you know, wars update, which uh, went on, let's see today's Friday, I think it went up Tuesday, uh, January fourth. Uh, you, you'll get you'll get some more details supporting uh, uh, what he said on that. Um, here's the way I, I I thought when you came up with the topic for the podcast, uh, Dan, is that the column that I wrote Tuesday morning uh, was uh, I, I call it four strategic challenges to 2022. Well, I I could have written that um, four strategic challenges to uh, 2011 or 2012. And as a matter of fact, in some shape, form or fashion, I wrote that column minus strategic challenge four, uh, about 20 years ago, a version of it. And you can even see elements of that column in the 1996 edition of Quick and Dirty Guide to War, which Jim and I wrote in 1995. And that the four strategic challenges to 2022, all right, it's up on, on, on the site. And one of them is expanding empires, which we talk about a lot on, on strategy talk. And I'm using this that as a, a general description. Uh, failed, flailing, and fake states. Jim said that Afghanistan's now returned to a failed state. It was flailing. When it was the, the uh, uh, still an ally of the United States for the Taliban take over, uh, took over. It has fallen back to failed. Uh, what's a fake state? Well, Congo is a fake state, Democratic Republic of Congo, Central African Republic. Uh, to some degree, Afghanistan is also a uh, a, 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 a fake state as well. It was something that's never existed in, never been able to to, uh, control uh, the violence and anarchy within its uh, political borders. That's also a challenge to 2022. But as you can see, it's been a challenge uh, to peace in in some shape or form or fashion since the 1880s when the uh, Balkans started to fall apart, uh, fall away from uh, Ottoman Turkish rule. Now it's always been a, it's always been an issue, but there's there's one where you even saw people, organizations trying to put together peacekeeping operations to uh, prop up or end the violence, and then uh, challenge three. This isn't new. It's nuclear proliferation among radical dictatorships, and of course, you think North Korea and Iran? There you go, but Islamic Caliphate—they claim that they're a, 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 a state in, uh, in in the making. The various terrorist groups want them, and that is a challenge. And then my fourth one was one talking about bribery, corruption, internal rot—the buying off of influential individuals and institutions so that stymied so that the effect was in democratic states democratic states are either uh, their ability to respond to the other challenges is slow or perhaps stymied completely you see and that's that's the new one the other three uh, the other three we've been writing about you know or been writing about for the last 40 or almost 50 50 years now the empires jim talked about the, you know the what was the the empire strikes back was a quip he made about <clears throat> russia trying to reorganize and recapture parts of the former ussr that's out of out of the uh, late 1990s and of course you know putin was uh, uh that was when he was making his initial public uh, power plays. China is an expanding empire. And the South China Sea uh, is currently where it makes its territorial claims. Hong Kong, Taiwan, along the line of control, which is always up for grabs. There's not a lot of control there that goes to the Himalayas, separates indian india and 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 China and China. Uh, Tibet, 1950, when Mao invaded and took Tibet, that was part of a Chinese empire. And right now, China hasn't uh, started rattling the sabers about Siberia. Initially, the communists, when they took over in uh, 1917, 1918, 1919, if they solidified control over the fallen Romanov empire and and. Created the Soviet Union, had told the, 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 the uh, Chinese that they'd, they'd get their lost lands back to the, to the east. And of course, that never happened once Stalin was uh, in power. And the Mongols know Mongolia. Uh, the Chinese look at Mongolia as just uh, uh, another part of China. China controls Inner Mongolia, and Outer Mongolia is uh, somewhere on uh, the Chinese Communist Party's agenda, it's just not there yet. Now I've described the uh, elements of the Chinese emperor's various empires. Of course, the China, that the uh, the CCP and Xi Jinping want is a China that has uh, uh, global sway. They want to be the earth's middle kingdom, which is why they're, Part of their expansion uh, directly challenges the United the United States, and the United States is key democratic allies. All right, I've already talked a little bit about failed states. I'm going to come back to the Democratic Republic Congo, Congo, in a moment. Talk about Chinese shenanigans revealed there. Jim hinted at it. I'll say something about Uganda too. Already said something about the uh, about the nukes. Um, There's still a a very uh, sophisticated, but not perfect attempt to deny North Korea nuclear materials. The thing is they've got enough of their own capability to uh, enrich uh, uranium fuel. The question is, is do they have uh, the ability Then this is still a question in the balance to uh, made it to a, a effective warhead. And once that's done, Jim was talking about the Iranians are not going to get a nuke, the Israelis will take it out. Will the South Koreans and Japanese react? Uh, <clears throat> I believe they will with full cooperation by the United States, uh, no matter what China says. And, I, and I'm that that is a dire prediction. I think that's part of the deterrence to keep the North Koreans from actually uh, making that uh but they may say they're going to do it, but if the evidence is that they've done it, there is a, there's a strike, a preemptive strike. Now, why is that a problem, Dan? Because Jim's been talking about how China's got to deal with internal problems, Russia's dealing with internal problems, we're dealing with internal problems, and that's where I'm going to talk about on strategic challenge number uh, number four. But that's the kind of Quick, violent act—one that's that, that's rational. Well, I'm talking. I'm talking about a defensive, <laughs> offensive, defensive attack to take a nuke out. That uh, when a nation like China, with has all of its imperial ambitions and it's got so much going on, and it and at the same time constantly invokes um, war. Threats of war and saber rattling as part of its uh, as part of its diplomatic effort. There's a challenge right there on their border. Is that the kind of event that uh, that kicks off a regional war? It could be. I'm not saying it would be, but I'm telling you it's the kind it could be. <clears throat> Same thing in the South China Sea. There's a Jim talks about the pushback that's developing, you know with the Philippines. Uh, Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia. That pushback has been uh, developing really since the mid-1990s because the locals down in Southeast Asia saw what was going on. I'm leaving Cambodia out. Uh, it's, it operates now as kind of a wholly owned subsidiary of uh, of, of Beijing simply because they bought everybody off, but it, they don't have, uh, Cambodia doesn't have the, the kind of, uh, of forces that uh, Vietnam and Thailand and the uh, Philippines and Indonesia have. And uh, Malaysia's nothing to write off and Singapore, I didn't include Singapore for, for a reason, Singapore's got a fine little military force and they've watched what China is doing. And so far, the United States and those countries, plus Australia, and now Japan uh, uh, as well, has has refused to recognize the uh, claims that China says these islands that we built are as sovereign Chinese territory as Shanghai. You know, they still play that game of their air controllers coming on demanding that uh, uh, planes not overfly and that sh- ships identify and behave in this way. Uh, but that creates conditions. So there's another element too: China's use of sea militia, which is supposedly fishing boats. Well, they are fishing boats, but they use them uh, in, uh, as a, a kind of unarmed swarming attack. And we don't know how truly unarmed they are. And they'll have their Coast Guard vessels in with their supposedly protecting the fishermen and several of their Coast Guard vessels. And we've written this up, Jim's written about this and, and uh, uh, some of our uh, technology up, updates. They're, they're really like small frigates. They're, uh, they carry uh, 75, 76 uh, uh, millimeter weapons uh, and uh, a variety of uh, larger uh, uh, automatic cannon. And also fire hoses, which are used as weapons. Uh, this was has been going on now for at least a decade. And there, the 2014 really was a, a, a major confrontation of this type between Vietnam and China when a huge... Uh, we uh, I wrote about this, and we wrote about it, if we've written about it a dozen times on Strategy Page, we've written about it three dozen times, when a uh, Chinese... Uh, Oil exploration vessels, and in in the case in twenty May 2014, an actual test drilling rig, a huge one, moved right into Vietnamese waters. And all right, it was restrained. A lot of shouting matches, some ramming. But ramming is a violent, uh, uh, you know, uh, written off as a- accidental, of course. But 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 ramming is an old technique of sea warfare. Uh, don't say that even even after the area of torpedoes, air torpedoes and guns uh, and and aircraft, um, rammed the other guy's boat in sinking. PT-109 was sliced in half by a Japanese uh, uh, destroyer. That's another type of miscalculation or kind of violent situation that could lead to a miscalculation. Now, in Europe, Look, I, I read in mainstream media, legacy media, whatever you want, I want to call it, that, oh, Russia's going to invade Ukraine. Well, Russia invaded Ukraine in, in 2014 and really has never left it. It's got its uh, proxy forces in uh, the uh, Donbass, those two call, so-called uh, secessionist provinces uh, of, of Ukraine but they're still there. What the threat that Putin has put together is one of a rapid mechanized uh, strike that would uh, seize additional land so that he's got a, a land corridor to uh, Crimea. I think that's the logical uh, logical attack set up for. But it's conceivable if the uh, Russian mechanized forces, tank forces, uh, achieved a surprise and a breakthrough, they might uh, try to absorb the eastern half of, of Ukraine. Do I think they're really going to do it? No. I think what he's wanted to do is make a diplomatic show and, and, and tr- see how far he could both rattle and test the Biden administration and rattle NATO and also send NATO the message, don't make Ukraine part of NATO. Which has been uh, an issue. the uh, they're, 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 uh, the poles know that that's a, a huge, huge thing for NATO to take on, but they want it. enough enough of them, uh, enough of them want it. Uh, Lithuania, Jim brought up Lithuania's ability to stand up to China. really interesting little situation. Uh, the uh, good coverage of it, I can recommend. Uh, uh, an, an article that uh, the, the Economist had within the last three weeks, maybe it it's a, a month ago, not too long, but got the same points that, that Jim made That Lithuania. We've seen this kind of bullying, great power behavior before, and we ended up uh, uh, suffering for 80 years. I'll put it at 80, but uh, from uh, Russia, that type of Russian domination. So we're not going to, we're fine. Okay, you want to bully us, China? Here we go. And they did exactly what what Jim said. They, there, there was a way possibly to test that if they had a consul there, they would have diplomatic immunity, but they weren't even going to put up with it. But Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia have NATO security guarantee. And when the Russians roll troops up there, uh, they have the the uh nato prepares to respond as well as finland and and sweden that's another example of the pushback that putin's bad behavior has got these 2 two so-called neutral nations openly discuss joining nato and as it is they cooperate with uh with uh, uh, uh with uh, uh, other nato uh nato nations but putin could miscalculate he could miscalculate it could be a miscalculation And Belarus, which is a shaky dictatorship that Russia more or less uh, controls, and they were trying, what were they trying to do late last year? Launch a a migrant invasion of Poland to rattle rattle NATO. Until uh, what happened, one of the things that happened is uh, EU uh, pressured Turkey to stop flights to Belarus, where a lot of these Middle Easterners that were being brought to Belarus were coming through Turkey they weren't coming through uh, through Moscow so Moscow had some plausible deniability that's that's shut that down for the while but that's also the, the kind of uh, disruption that could lead to a miscalculation and suddenly and and plus Jim went through all the problems that Putin's Putin's got uh, uh, with Russia 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 is uh, a <laughs> In some ways it's a flailing state economically. The only its respite it's getting is the jump in oil prices after the uh, shutting down or closing down of, of fracking and uh, a new oil uh, production uh, in the United States. So that's given, that's given the bad guys uh, a, a respite. But now well, the failed states, Congo, what Jim was talking about is they're actually there's one big uh, accounting study done by a, a nonprofit that uh, specializes has a specialty in tracking uh, criminal organiz- flow of money, criminal organizations, uh, and and money laundering. But there are two others that have uh, that I'm uh, I'm aware of. There are probably more than uh, than that that have looked at was what was called the uh, initially the a Congo-China deal, and then just began to be called the China deal. This is uh, written about this since, really, I think the first time I, I did an update on it was uh, late 2008 or early 2009. But now the moniker for it is is the China deal. And it was going to be anywhere between, and you'll see a range of figures, running from about 6.7, 6.8 billion to 9 billion. Though there is some indication that it's actually 10 to $12 billion that China was going to put into Congo to build infrastructure, roads, hospitals, in some places, uh, uh, electrical uh, uh, power delivery for, uh, uh, capability from from dams, uh, uh, generators, and the like. And in exchange, China would have the uh, uh, guaranteed rights and access to... Uh, an entire range of, of Congolese uh, minerals, cobalt being one of the main, uh, uh, main minerals China was interested in. And a little quick sidebar on that, it takes about 10 kilograms of cobalt to build some of the electrical batteries that power those small Chinese electrical vehicles that the uh, uh, Chinese middle class desperately want. It's something that, that uh, the Chinese Communist Party want, wants to build because it's uh, like giving uh, them uh, iPhones and and letting them buy uh, Mac computers. They can have their own little, uh, their, their car. But it takes a lot of cobalt to build those batteries. And Congo produces, oh, something between 55 and 65 percent of the of the cobalt produced on the planet. There it, there's some fluctuation, but its its cobalt is regarded as being some of the finest, the highest grade, uh, uh on the planet. And, and China's been importing something like well, uh, again the the figures are, are iffy, but over 50 percent, maybe 70 percent of Congo's annual production uh, of cobalt. And that's ramped up since this uh, China deal was negotiated. But as Jim Jim, uh, flash-forwarded, it's not worked. Uh, The infrastructure hasn't been built. Very little of it. A lot of the money seems to have been siphoned off and the major uh, accounting assessment pointed to something like 50, uh, 50 million dollars to 55 million dollars that disappeared in in over the over the years into the Kabila government, Joseph Kabila's uh, government, and, and to the Kabila family. Apparently, there was in one of the studies thought that 65 billion was to go but when they kabila <clears throat> exited power and tshigadi's uh, new uh, new government managed to uh, get control of, of the uh, regulatory institutions he still doesn't have full control of the security institutions but the regulatory institute uh, 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 organizations in congo particularly in the minerals uh, they, another 10 to 15 million was uh, was taken back and it wasn't distributed wasn't distributed so what what you what 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 you've seen out of the uh, china deal now with 12 years uh, 12 years on is that uh, the uh, chinese simply bribe the elites corrupt elites of uh, of of a sub-saharan african uh, nation do very little of the uh, construction uh, that, that they promised, and uh, is is this exemplary? Yes, it is. Uh, maybe one to two billion dollars worth of projects have been uh, uh, have been made. That was something I got out of reading part of the uh, preliminary as, uh, assessment of one of the uh, accounting accounting studies. So uh, Congo didn't get what China promised and it was if you want to talk about crooked imperialism there's an example it doesn't stop with Congo In just the last three months <clears throat> China acquired uh, the largest concrete maker in Zambia and it's also tied into the Malawi small as it was it's only ten million dollars in Malawi but in in, uh, in Zambia I don't remember exactly what the figure is, but it's in a, in a recent update. But for under $100 million, they acquired two of the larger industries in, in two other uh, Central African, Sub-Saharan uh, countries. Uh, it's basically full, full control. The Kampala Airport, this was a payoff to the U- Ugandan uh, Ugandan elites. There's a lot of pushback going on inside Uganda because for one thing the Ugandan military has been very has been professionalized and upgraded and they regard themselves as being an ally of Kenya, uh, Great Britain and the United States and you'll see them uh, being used in, in UN, uh, uh, UN op- uh, operations. And Entebbe is their, their biggest uh, uh, biggest air base. Uh, again, that's Entebbe is the, really Kampala's uh, international, international airport. Uh, anyway, there's that, a, a sketch of what Chinese foreign policy has been in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, it's, is it the kind of situation that when uh, there's a, a, if a, a shooting match that it spreads uh, into a regional war? No. No, it's not. But it's a way to lead in to point four of my challenges for 2022, which is China's tried to work, and somewhat successfully, the same uh, undermining bribery, corruption, and influence buying operation in Western Europe and in, in the United States, uh, Canada, uh, uh, and Australia. and uh, it, I'll, just uh, s- some random examples, the Harvard chemistry professor had basically been uh, paid uh, by China for well over a decade, um, and at least part of the time, $50,000 a month off the books. Now he's been convicted, but uh, he was essentially, China had, had access to all kinds of, uh, of uh, knowledge, scientific knowledge. That uh, without having to do the work themselves, they just stole it, and that goes on. And and they one of the the studies after, if you remember, they in let's see, that was uh, 2019, when uh, MD Anderson Cancer Hospital and Emory uh, uh, University's medical uh, medical school and medical research institution, which is one of the best in the in the world were both uh, <clears throat> raided by the FBI because of essentially pervasive Chinese uh, espionage and influ- influence by. And then it turned out that there were over 100 institutions. That took a little while for this to come out over the next six to eight months that the same kind of game had been played where you see the National Institute of Health and National Science Foundation, What uh, they, they asked, uh, people who, the organizations that come to them for money, where else do you get your money? Do you have f- foreign money? Tell us about it and tell us what the relationship is. And you're supposed to put it down <clears throat> and you swear to it. It's a legal document. A lot of these institutions had failed to do that, which actually made them liable for having to pay, ba- pay back the money. <clears throat> now, what China got out of this was... Uh, Tons and tons of information that helped them economically. And on top of that, we know about the pervasive spying, Huawei, dual-use technologies, influence buying. Uh, Some of this sounds conspiracy theorists, but there is enough evidence out there to see how uh, journalists and scientists that were taking money from Chinese institutions immediately tried to squelch a... Uh, inquiries, legitimate inquiries, under the origins of the COVID-19 Wuhan uh, virus uh, 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 pandemic. Uh, the uh, Washington Free Beacon did a fabulous investigative job of looking at uh, Huawei, and that Huawei is, in my view, uh, uh, yeah, sure, it's a huge Chinese electronics uh, corporation, but it's it's really also a front for Chinese espionage. Uh, Huawei really purchased sympathetic coverage from the Economist uh, Economist uh, uh, Economist Intelligence Unit, which is a a uh, separate editorially from uh, the uh, uh, the magazine, but uh, also sells its uh, analysis to. Um, uh, to to clients and customers, but there was a ton of flow of uh, of money to it, and suddenly, you know, there's a lot of this. No, Huawei's not doing this, and Huawei's not doing that. And I commend the Free Beacons uh, study on it because it certainly is suggestive, of and indicative of what China has done with lots of Western news organizations, and well, it's a. So anyway, that's I'll I'll leave it at that, Dan. That's uh okay, that something that slows it down. We're we're at the end of our time for today, and we'll have to watch these trends and see if uh, what we saw last year continues to happen. We'll talk to you gentlemen next time. Indeed. Take care. Bye bye guys.